we really are to be known for our love one for another. And that love does not mean that we just say all sins are okay and everything's okay, but it does show that we care for one another. Let's open a prayer. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you, even though it's a little warm in here, that you've got a great thing going for us today. Your spirit is with us and we're in fellowship. We ask you to lead and guide as we open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, starting in verse 7. We're continuing Solomon's lament over the tragedy of everything under the sun. Now remember we've commented, when he talks about things under the sun, he's seeing things the way the world sees it without God being part of it. At the end of the book, we get to Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and he says, let us hear the conclusion of the matter, of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for that is the whole duty of man. So he's going to finally come through, and this actually, this section's not too bad, because he actually starts realizing that you can't do it alone, but it's still fairly negative and very worldly. So Ecclesiastes 4, 7. Then I returned and saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone, and there is not a second. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother, yet there is no end to all labor. Neither is his eye satisfied with riches, neither says he, for whom do I labor, and, become, and bereave my soul of good. This is also vanity, yea, it is a sore travail. Two are better than one, because they have good reward for their labor. If they, for if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But who woe to him that is alone when he falls, for he hath not another to help him. Again, if two lie together, they can have heat, but how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and the three-chord cord is not quickly broken. I want to stop there, because I just want to look at this section of scripture because this is really important for us to consider. He starts out and he says, I returned and I saw vanity under the sun, emptiness, nothing but waste. And you know, sometimes I wonder, because I talk to a lot of people at my other job, you know, and there's a lot of them are just empty. Everything's a waste of time. There's no value in doing anything. And you know, they do good work. And this is what he, what he comes to say. He goes, um, in verse 8, there is one alone and there is not a second, and behold, neither child nor brother, neither is his eye satisfied with riches, but it doesn't say, whom shall do I labor and bereave my soul? In other words, he's saying, I'm doing all this labor, and who's going to get it? <laughs> okay, and Solomon really seems to be depressed with his children. He doesn't have a lot of high opinion of his children taking care of everything that he's gotten, because remember, we know that Solomon has acquired great wealth, all right? It says that silver is of no value in Israel at that time. It's as, it's as valuable as sand, which is not valuable at all because he has so much silver. He's measuring gold in tons. Okay, he's got jewels. He's got everything out there. And he says all of this wealth is nothing. He's fallen a long ways from where he started. When he started out, he started out really good. Started out really good. I've got all this stuff. And remember, God came to him in a dream, and he said, you know, what do you want? You know, I'll give you anything that you want. And he asked for wisdom, and God says, I like that, because you could have asked for wealth. You could have asked for military victories. You could have asked for a long life. And because he goes, you ask for wealth, I'll give you everything. And unfortunately, he's going to have a long life, much of it filled with vanity, because he walks away from God. 
And this is something that is very critical for us as believers. If God is in your heart and you walk away from him, you're going to have a very miserable life. Because you cannot go back to eat, drink, and be merry. Because every time, if you are a believer in Christ and you do something wrong, your conscience bothers you because the Holy Spirit pricks your conscience and says, this is not where you're supposed to be. And I've said this over and over. If you can sin without your conscience pricking you, you may have to look and say, am I one of God's children? Because the Holy Spirit indwelling you will cause you to have trouble sinning. Doesn't mean you won't sin. Doesn't mean that you can keep searing that conscience to the point where you're no longer listening. But, you know, if you're really one of his children and he's indwelling in you, he's not going to let you live in sin. He's not going to stop you because that's your choice, your free will, but he is not going to let you be happy living in sin. And this is where Solomon is at this point in time. He is one of God's children and he's not happy. He's looking at everything being empty. He's looking at without God, there is no satisfaction. And this is what he says. This person's working. He's got to work. You know, it doesn't matter whether you have a family or don't have a family. You still have to work. You still have to earn a living. You still have to at least grow your food for to eat and put shelter over your head. He says, you're still doing all of that. And he says, but you're giving it to nobody. And this has been his refrain for the last few chapters. Who am I giving my all this wealth to? Who am I giving all this kingdom to? One of my sons. And he's depressed by that. And I don't know why he's depressed by that. I, I kind of like it that my kids are going to do better than me, but he seems depressed by the whole issue. And he says, there's all this trouble, all this trouble, and I'm never satisfied. Hopefully you are not that way, that you're in a place where you're never satisfied. But I know lots of people who are, that I talk to that don't know Christ, they're never satisfied. Nothing is ever enough. I'm, I'm working and getting all this money, but I never have enough money. I've got lots of friends, but I never have enough friends. I want fame, and I try hard to have fame, but I don't have enough fame. Or, you know, and you look at these people and you go, well, how much is enough? Well, I don't know. I haven't got there yet. Well, Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, it'll never be enough, no matter how much you have. He's got so much money that most of it is not worth anything, and he goes, I still don't have enough. It's not enough to make me happy. What are we needing to make us happy? God. God created us in his image and Pascal said there's a God-shaped hole in every single person that only God can fill. And we as humans try to fill it with everything else. You know, we try oftentimes to fill it with anything but God, but an infinite size hole in our heart needs an infinite God to fill it. And this is what Solomon is saying here. He says, all of this trouble, and then he starts talking about if one falls and there's not another there, you know, one of the places that we're seeing a big problem in this day and age is that people say, well, I don't need church to be a Christian. I don't need church to go to heaven. And if they stopped there, that would be a true statement. You don't need church to, to become a Christian. You don't need a church to go to heaven. If you want to grow in Christ and keep going forward, you need the church, the body of Christ. That way, when you're having a hard time, there's somebody who misses you and gets on the phone or sends you a letter or comes by your house and says, hey, I've missed you. How's, how are you doing? How are things going? You come to church, and there's people to build you up and lift you up. And that's our thing is a body of Christ. And the body is the perfect picture. If you cut your finger, the body shuts down the need for blood to other parts, sends, a whole, sends more blood to your finger to 
coagulates it, stops it, but the whole body suffers during that time. Now, I, I've teased people, you know, well, my finger hurts. Well, how about I'll get a hammer and, and hit your toe, and I bet your finger will stop hurting. You know, and I'm teasing with them. I don't plan to do it, but, you know, that is true. If you have another part that's more sore than the part that <laughs> was already sore, you're going to forget. And, you know, this is part of what we do. When we're lifting up, when we're serving others, we tend to forget our own problems. And I'm going to tell you, if you're suffering with this idea of I'm not getting enough, I'm not getting enough, find some way to serve. Find something to do for somebody else because when we're following God and we're helping others, we're not concentrating on our needs. We're not concentrating on our wants. We're serving others. And you know what God does in return? He says, okay, you're reaching out, you're serving others. Let me turn around and serve you. And it's an amazing thing, you know, to follow God. Do we have a perfect life as a Christian? Absolutely not. We have lots of troubles. And a matter of fact, because we're Christians, we can have a lot more troubles than we would if we weren't a Christian. Jesus said, they hated me, they will hate you. And there are a lot of people that don't seem to have any problems as a Christian, and I have to come up to one or two conclusions. Either you're not a Christian, or you have absolutely no walk with God to threaten Satan, because Satan is not going to let you off the hook if you're a threat to him and his kingdom. And he will ask permission of God, I want to go get them, just as he had to to Job. All right? And remember, anything that happens to you, God has allowed. Now, sometimes we would like to say, God, allow a little less, please. <laughs> okay. And I understand that. You know, God, it would really be nice if you allowed just a little bit less of these trials. But by the same token, we should be honored that God says, I think you're worthy of this. I think you're worthy of this test. And if we keep our eyes on heaven and, the, and eternity, then no test down here is that big a deal. And we've talked about this. You know, Paul said he praised God for the light afflictions. Now, if you know Paul's life, light affliction meant shipwreck, being chased out of every town he ran into, being beat, being, being scourged, uh, being criticized everywhere. And he says, thank you, God, for the light afflictions because they are nothing in comparison to eternity. How many of us, number one, have anything near what Paul does? And I don't think anybody that I know has, has gone through what Paul has gone through. We should easily be able to say, God, thank you for the light afflictions you're putting me through. Because if we do compare it to heaven, you know, what is anything that's going to happen on this world matter compared to what's going to be in the future? Now, I know that's easier said than done. <laughs> I know it's easier said, to, you know, to claim, you know, God, thank you for these light afflictions. But again, it comes to where is my mind? What is my attitude? Am I looking to God? Am I looking to his promises? My greatest scripture that I hold on to, I have two of my favorite, and you both know them, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God, and I truly believe that. Anytime something bad happens in my life, I very quickly go, God, I don't understand how this can be good, but you've promised it's going to be for good, and I'm going to hold on to that promise. It changes your whole attitude when you can look at that and say, God, you've promised. My other one is that I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. You know, I am crucified. He's trying to crucify my flesh. Every time you go through a hard time, God is saying, are you going to let your flesh rule or are you going to let me crucify your flesh? And that's a tough thing. Crucifixion hurts. It hurts when God is crucifying your flesh because we don't like it. 
We don't like to have our flesh crucified. We want to do things our way. And this is very important for us to understand. And here he says, here's Solomon saying, when there's only one person, they fall down, it's hard to get back up. Yeah. I've experienced this. I went hiking one time by myself. Nobody even knew where I was at. And I slipped through some snow and twisted my ankle. And at the very first part of it, I'm going, nobody knows where I'm at. I could be up on this mountain all spring long before anybody ever finds me. Now, I was able to walk out, but I mean, it really dawned on me the importance of something like this scripture. You know, and if you're ever a hiker, you know you don't go out hiking alone. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I broke every rule. I wasn't. I shouldn't have been hiking either. <laughs> but we need each other. It is so simple because if you're by yourself, you can justify just about anything you want to do. Oh God, you know, I, I'm just in a really bad mood. I really need whatever it is you're getting ready to do. Usually it might be drinking or alcohol or whatever, but you know, God, I just, I can justify it. I just really have to have it. Yeah. And it's easy for us individually to justify it, but have you ever tried to explain your justification to somebody else? How hollow does it sound when what you talked yourself into doing and you share it with somebody else and it's just, you have the hollowness of what, what it was. And you go, whoa, this doesn't make any sense at all. I knew it didn't make any sense when I was convincing myself, but now I really know it doesn't make any sense. We need each other. We need somebody, not for judging, but to love you and pick you up. And this is what we have to do as a body. When we have a fallen brother or sister, we're not out there to judge them. Well, I don't know what you did that for. When you get yourself right together, we'll, we'll love you and bring you back into the church. No, that's not the attitude. You know, I am really sorry you went through this. Let's help you get back up. Let's get you back up and where you are. And why? Because God's grace. You know, I love the way God deals with us. He doesn't say, well, when you get your soul life all put together, I will love you and I will do, do things for you. If he did, we'd be in trouble. Because I am never good enough to deserve anything from God. I am so thankful for his grace. And when we really start realizing how much grace he gives to us, it should make it easier for us to give grace to others. When we really see ourselves as need of, in need of grace, we should then be able to walk to somebody else and say, you know what? God loves you. And I want to help you walk, walk stronger. I want to be the one that helps you and lifts you up. It's so important. God's grace. And we've talked about this. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. And that's anything from God, we don't deserve it. Any love from somebody else, we pretty much don't deserve love from anybody because if it's a love we deserve, then it's really not worth anything. We need to be able to reach out to people and just say, I want to show God's love and grace to you. What did he do? Jesus Christ came down to this world and to die for us. God commended his love toward us that while we're yet sinners, Christ died. We were his enemy. And he came and died on this cross. Do you really realize how wonderful that is? You know, would any of us done that? Go to die for everybody that hates us, has no desire to be with us, and we're going to go die for them. I am just amazed when Jesus went to the cross. You know, it would not have been wrong for him to tell the Father, Father, I'm just coming back home. They're not worth it. And yet, 
because he had said he was going to do it, he went to the cross to die for us. It wouldn't have been wrong for him to say, I'm not going to do it, because we definitely didn't deserve it. It was not something that was good for us. Uh, we had, didn't have any good in us for him to want to come and do it. And yet, he died for us. You know, and he says that we deserve punishment. And this is what he's talking about. A threefold cord is not easily broken. We have the body of Christ. We have others to help us. But when God is put in the midst of that, it's even better because he can't be broken at all. And he comes and he interweaves himself as, as part of our life. As part of the body of Christ. He interweaves it and we are part of his body. And it cannot be broken. For true believers, we can't be broken because we're dependent on him. Now, we will fail. We will sin. But you know, the greatest things is that we fall into God's hands. I love it that we cannot fall anywhere else but into his hands. He picks us up. And because of his grace, he doesn't say, okay, well, you failed, so you've got to start at the bottom of the ladder all over again. He says, okay, you were on whatever step you were on. Here you go. My grace puts you right back there. It is wonderful to see that. God's wonderful grace for us as believers. Now, if we don't know him, we have no hope. If you do not know Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there's no hope that hell is your destiny. Jesus paid the price, but if you don't accept that price and clothed in his righteousness, you'll stand before God in your own filthy rags of righteousness, and he'll say, depart. We need each other. We need to be built up amongst each other. We need to be part of him. And we need each other. You know, and I've, I've told you, I love it when people tell me, well, I can worship God on, I don't have to come to church, I can worship God in, you know, Lake Mountain, wherever they say. And my question always to them is, well, yes, you can, but are you worshiping God at those places? Because it won't take long. If you separate yourself from the body of believers, it will not be long before you are not worshiping God. You may worship God for the first couple weeks, months, maybe even a year if you're really faithful, but you're going to keep getting colder and colder toward God, and eventually God's not going to be part of that life if you're not amongst his people. You know, and we need to be very careful about that. Not to judge people, but ask them, what are, you know, what are you worshiping? How are you worshiping? Because the other thing we need amongst the body of believers is teachers. People who teach us how to follow closer to God. We need teachers. It's, it's very easy. And I've said to people, you know, we can learn how to do just about anything from books and videos. You know, I can, I can figure out how to repair things pretty easily by going to YouTube and watching videos. It only takes me about at least twice as long as it would if somebody was showing me how to do it. Once I learn how to do it, it's not too bad. It goes really, really quick. But, you know, it's much easier. How many of us want to learn everything the hard way? Unfortunately, many of us are thi thick-headed, hard-headed individuals who have to learn things the hard way in spite of being taught how to do it without, the, without it. But you know, God has put things in the Word. If we really started understanding Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, we would avoid a whole lot of our problems thinking that we're somehow different. And isn't that what we do? Well, somebody else might have fallen in this, but I would never make that same mistake. As you walk right into it and fall flat on your face on the same mistake that they fell in. We do this all the time as human beings. Well, you know, I can go 
you know, drinking and have no problem with it. I would never get addicted. And then a year later, you're totally addicted. And saying, I don't know how this happened. Well, if you go back, you made provision. You started. We need to be careful. And that is where the body can come in and say, you know, I've noticed you've been, you know, I've been praying for you. I'm really concerned about the decisions you've been making. And I would just like to let you know I've been praying for you. Not judging them, not criticizing them, but, you know, if you need anybody, I'm ready to help you. You know, and lift them up. Our job as Christians is to edify one another, to build each other up, not rip people down. There are a lot of people who don't come to churches because they have been attacked and criticized and, and torn, torn apart. And I understand how easy that is. You know, when God says something, they can take it personally. And I understand sometimes people will come to me and go, well, how did you know that's my problem when, I, when you were preaching? Well, I'm only preaching the next thing in the, in the book. And if the Holy Spirit is convicting you, that's not my problem. I'm going to tell you that sin is a sin. I'm not judging people, but sin is a sin. And we need to be aware that God calls things sin. He says that you are not to murder, you're not to steal, you're not to commit adultery, you're not to blaspheme his name. But the biggest point, if you don't ever think about this, do you know what the hardest commandment is in the entire Ten Commandment list? Thou shalt not covet. Not want something that somebody else has. And if you can keep that one, you'd have no problems in your life whatsoever. Because if you don't covet, you're not going to want something from somebody enough to murder them. You're not going to get angry enough because you're trying to protect your, your reputation. All the way down. If you're not coveting, wanting what other people have, you're not going to have a problem. And yet, that's the hardest one for us to keep. And, you know, if you watch TV or read magazines or newspapers, there's all kinds of advertisements telling you that you want something that you never knew you needed. Uh, yeah. You know, never knew I needed all this stuff until I started watching the, t the commercial that says, I need that car that parks itself or drives itself or, or I, need this, I need this pan that, flip, you know, that uh, cooks the eggs real easy. I don't have to flip them over. You know, all these things that all these things that we get told we need that we never knew that we needed until we were told we didn't need it because it's tapping into our covetous nature. You know, and that is one of the worst things because that was the original sin of Adam and Eve. Eat of this fruit and you will be like God. Both coveting and the desire to be something that you're not. You know, we need each other because we need each other to help keep us correctly united together. Keep us on the path for God. And have just somebody that's able to come alongside you and say, you know, I've noticed these things. And we all need somebody in our life that can say very hard things to us. I've got a couple of friends that they know they can come and tell me anything that they, they need to tell me. Does that mean it makes it easier and that I'm going to like hearing what they say? No, not necessarily, but I also know that I've given them permission to say the hardest things. Well, you know, Ralph, I've seen you doing these things, and I'm a little concerned that you're going down the wrong path. I'm not going to like it any better than any of you would if somebody did it. But usually I will sit back and say, yes, God, this is, all right, God, I understand. It is what you're, what you're wanting. All right, yes, they're right. I've got to get back on. <laughs> on direction for you. We all need somebody in our life that we have given permission to say, share this with me. And we as a body can do that with somebody. But it, remember the very first thing I've said, if you're not praying for somebody, 
You have no business trying to intrude into their life to tell them they're doing wrong. Because if you don't love them enough to pray for them, you definitely don't love them enough to correct their life. Plain and simple. It is just a very simple thing. If you're not praying for somebody, you have no business whatsoever trying to make corrections in their life. Why do parents have permission to do that to their kids? Number one, they're the parents, but number two, I hope every parent that really loves their child is praying for their child. And if you're praying for your child, then you have the right to be able to go in and say, I'm concerned about this direction you're walking in your life. You know, and very important for us to be able to look at this. How much do we love each other? We sang the song, they will know we are Christians by our love. Very critical, do we love each other? Jesus told his disciples, they will know you're my disciples by your love one for another. Not your criticisms, not your tearing apart. You know, you get around the world, and it's interesting. You know, how many of us know what it's like in the world? They're nice and kind to each other's face, and behind their back, they're ripping each other to shreds. And that scares me, because if they're being, ripping somebody in front of me, then that means they're ripping me in front of somebody else. You know, what is your reputation with people? When you're with them, are you building others up? Are you telling people about how good they are and how blessed you are and to watch them, watch them walking with God? Or are you tearing them apart? Our love for one another should show. And it should be very evident to the world that we love each other. Now, does that mean we're never going to make any mistakes? No, <laughs> we're human. We're going to make the mistakes. We're going to tear people down. We're going to say bad things. And when we do, we're going to have to go out and apologize and say, you know, number one, we say it to the person we talk to. And then we're going to have to do the really hard thing. Go talk to the person that we were talking about and say, you know, I just want to let you know I'm really sorry. I was talking to somebody else and I said some things I shouldn't have said. And I want you to be aware that I did that and I'm sorry. We need to be able to stand up and do these things. Not easy. Not an easy thing, but we need to be able to stand up and learn to forgive. Forgiveness is one of the hardest things for us to do. I have known people that have not forgiven somebody for decades. And the bitterness that's in their heart because of that lack of forgiveness destroys them. Destroys their walk with God if they have one. Destroys their walk with God. Destroys everything about their walk. We need to learn to forgive. We need to learn to give grace. Because God gives it to us. And if we can't do that, what it really signifies, if I can't forgive somebody, if I can't love somebody, if I can't give grace to somebody, I am not recognizing how much God has given to me. We love him because he first loved us. He showed us his love and therefore we can love him. He shows us his love, we can love each other. And not only are we to love each other that are Christians and fellow believers, we are to love our enemy. Now, that is a tall order. To love people who can't stand you, who just want to be critical of you. It is tough. That is a tall order to be able to say, God, I just want to love them. I want to be nice to them. I want to say good things about them even as much as possible. You may not have much good you can say about your enemy, but, you know, ideally, if we are really one of Jesus' followers, we probably shouldn't have any enemies. We may have people that consider us their enemy, but our job is to love them. Now, are we, wanting, are we going to want to hang out with them 24-7? Are we going to make them our, our, our best friend forever? Probably not. But we're also to show kindness, show love. 
And this is what we have to do. We bring God into our lives and then he comes out of our life and ministers to people. Walking the Christian life is really an easy thing when God is dwelling in us and working out of us. Is it easy? Easy? No, but he does the work. The more he crucifies my flesh, the more he does the work and the, the more easier it becomes. I just have to surrender. You know, and the thing I keep getting asked, well, how do you surrender? You just do it. <laughs> you know, it's really not that hard. And if you've ever been in a place where you have fought God and you have fought God and you have fought God and you have not surrendered and then you finally surrender, if you're like me, you get to the end of the world, you surrender and go, what did it take me so long to surrender for? It was so easy. I just did it and God changed my, changed my heart. And there's been times where I've fought him for a long time. Realizing that I was fighting him, knowing that it was going to have to change, and then getting it changed and going, wow, why did it take me so long? I'm going to encourage you, don't take long. Surrender to God. <laughs> Life is a lot easier when you surrender to him and say, God, I'm going to quit fighting. I'm just going to surrender and let you do what you want. Because this is the most important thing. The only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ, and that's because of his sacrifice. We admit we're a sinner. God, I have sinned. I deserve punishment. Come into my life and save me. And then he changes who we are, and he indwells us. And we're going we're gonna to end it here, and we're just going to close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for each person that's here. Lord, if there's anybody listening on the Internet or in this room that doesn't know you, we ask today that they will admit that they're a sinner and turn their life over to you and have you fill their life. Lord, for those of us that are, are Christians that are listening to this, we ask you, Lord, to convict us to let more of our flesh be crucified, more of our life be surrendered to you, and more of, of you come out of us so that we can love and care for others. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.